when people are coming to Christ, there's more persecutions. Don't just be a missionary. Be somebody who mobilizes missionaries. Tori Rasmussen is mobilizing missionaries in the nation of Tanzania. He's training African Christians to take the gospel of Jesus to the next village, the next tribe, and even the next country. We'll meet Tori and learn about the growing opposition to the gospel in Tanzania, as well as the growth of the church, this week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Today we're in our studio with Tori Rasmussen. Tori is a gospel worker in the country of Tanzania, uh, a country that appears on our Voice of the Martyrs prayer map uh, as a hostile nation, and we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Uh, Tori, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you very much. First question I want to ask you, because uh, I, I don't have very many opportunities to ask somebody who lives in Tanzania uh, there are very different statistics on the religious makeup of the country. Uh, the, the World Factbook, which is put out by the CIA, says basically evenly split between Christian and Muslim and tribal beliefs, kind of 30-30-30. Uh, Operation World says 54% Christian, 31% Muslim. Uh, you, you live there, you work there, so I think you probably have a pretty good understanding what it, what's the reality as far as how many Christians and how many Muslims and uh, and just kind of the makeup of the of the society there? It's a census and of all the people about two two three years ago, and from those facts that are coming out just recently, I think now it used to be thirty thirty thirty, the last time they took the census, but this time around it seems that the country is forty two percent Christian and about thirty five percent Muslim. And then the animist, the animist uh, tribal beliefs have decreased since the last time the census was taken. You know, I, I know five years ago, Tanzania was not on our prayer map. We, we didn't consider it hostile, uh, didn't really hear stories of persecution. Uh, in the last couple of years, we've heard more stories of persecution. We've heard churches being burned. We heard pastors even being martyred for their faith. What's happened? Is it just that we didn't hear about it before, or has there really been an increase in hostility? I, there is, there's always been small amounts of persecution when someone turns from, from, um, from Islam to Christianity. Uh, how to say it? They, they, do come, they do come over, and there has been some persecution throughout all of time, okay? As long as Christianity has been there reaching Muslims. But it's not anything like we've seen recently. Um, the, we have across East Africa, we had a lot of Muslim influence from Oman because the trade routes started in Oman. And even though Oman sultans ruled over Zanzibar and Pemba and so the whole East coast of Africa was pretty much controlled by the, the sultans from Oman and the, the, the Islam in Oman is a bit more relaxed 
is not as is not as tenacious as some other countries. And so that very relaxed sort of Islam spread throughout all of East Africa. But over the last 20 years out of Saudi Arabia, there's been a big push uh, by Wahhabian Islam and Muslims. And there's a lot of funding coming out of Saudi Arabia for madrasas and universities and 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 in mosques and even a lot of funding for the for the imams for the sheikhs and for others it tends to come from saudi arabia so i think that the, this wahhabian sect of islam has uh has really made the muslims in east africa a lot more radical than they ever were and not only that but the christians there's a group called um uh the bible is the answer with and there's two leaders there. One name is Daniel, another one is Simba Ulanga. And those guys have went around the country and they just saw that the, the, the Muslims were doing Muslim-Christian debates. And they just saw that everywhere they went, the Christians literally didn't have an answer. And so the Muslims ruled the airways. They ruled the... When they came into a village, Christians kind of just hid for the weekend while they were there and then continued about business. But when these guys started debating the Muslims open air in the public the christians saw how they dismantled the muslims questions about christianity and then had questions to ask the muslims and the muslims couldn't give an answer to it and when they saw that they could give a, an answer to the faith that they had it just i think it, it really gave the christians a sense of empowerment and so instead of always being on the defensive or just kind of avoiding the Muslims, they, they not, they, they're able to defend their, their faith and there's a big push to reach Muslims. And so, yeah, I, I think because the Muslims, they used to win all the arguments. So now they're not winning the arguments in the public space. So they tried to push uh, for Islamic law in the country. Politically, it failed. The parliament voted it down like three, like... Um, probably two to one. And it really, it did not go anywhere. And so the Muslims were hoping for Islamic courts, especially in Zanzibar and Pemba, Mafia and along the coast of East Africa, I mean, Tanzania, and it didn't go anywhere. So now we see a very frustrated Muslim community and churches are, are a bit more aggressive in reaching the Muslims. So when people are coming to Christ, there's more persecution. Just these guys, since 1997, this, the Bible is the answer group. They've seen f over 40,000 Muslims come to Christ wow. because of these debates. Praise the Lord. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. So when the persecution comes, typically, who is it coming from? Is it from the police or the government, or is it mostly like families or, or village leaders? or It's a mixture. I'd say most of it comes from, from the more radical elements within the mosques, and they usually get the youth to be riled up, or they, somebody gets saved and they get kicked out of their home, or, or somebody married a person who was a Muslim girl, and then they get attacked with machetes in the middle of the night in a prayer service. They weren't Muslims, but they married a Muslim, a former Muslim girl, and so they get hacked up because of that. Uh, there's people, yeah, there's lots but of cases. But it's typically not the government per se. No. Or it's typically some other factor, which is 
really that's our definition of a a hostile nation. It's where the government says it's okay to be a Christian, mm-hmm. but within the country there are groups, yeah. be they Muslim or whatever else, that are attacking Christians and persecuting. In the beginning, when this debate team went out and were doing their work, okay, the government arrested, would, the police would come all the time and arrest them. They don't do that anymore. The police kind of, very seldom does that happen. But I was there one time when the police came down full force on them with, with riot gear and dogs and tear gas, and it got, it got crazy. Uh, but that doesn't happen as much. There is some of that. There's been assassination attempts on them, and then people will say, well, they were go- they're affiliated with the government, but we're not sure. There's no way to prove that. But you do see it just when Christianity is on the offensive and they're answering and they're, they're, they are reaching out to places that have never had an, a Christian influence before, there's usually pushback. There will be pushback. Yeah. That, and so. I think, I think that's biblical. Yeah. <laughs> when when you're taking new territory, there will be pushback. Yeah. Uh, I know one of the things you're focusing on is the villages mm-hmm. uh, and going into villages, especially some of these where it's it's a hundred percent not Christian. Yep. Um, what what was your rationale for focusing on that style of ministry? Yeah, I, we I learned to do ministry to villages first through uh, a teaching called The Four Fields. Uh, I think it was put out by IMB um, a while back. And it's, do you reach, you, they, they looked at Jesus's life. Where did Jesus spend most of his ministry? And in church planning, how does that work? So when Jesus was in Galilee and he performed a miracle and somebody was healed, people from all over Galilee came to see him because everybody knew so-and-so was healed. But when he moved to Jerusalem, People oftentimes said, when somebody got healed, they they thought it was a sham. They said, well, it looks like the guy, but it's not really the guy. You know, they asked the parents, was this person really born at birth this way? And they'd be like, well, ask him. And, And so you see over and over again in the cities, when Christ performed a miracle, he was oftentimes met with, met with resistance, and it mostly had an impact on the person that was healed and not as a community as a whole. So when we go and we do church planning, when we do evangelism, and somebody gets saved and they change and their life is completely different, if it's in the city, people will be like, well, that guy was paid to do that. But if it's in the village and they actually see that so-and-so used to be this way and now he's this way, it spreads like wildfire, this guy has changed. Or if you pray for somebody and they do get healed, miraculously, everybody knows that mama so-and-so, her, she's, she was blind and now she can see. And so it just causes the church planning movements that you do to just spread like, like wildfire. When you go into a village, what is kind of your methodology? What, what do you do to sort of open the door and make friends and kind of have an entry to that village. Everyone I work with in Tanzania is an unreached people group. We got like 30 some unreached people groups from my own personal research. Um, others will say differently, but from my own personal research, I have found at least 30 unreached people groups. And so when we go to an unreached people group, I'll many times go doing research. I want to find out what these people believe, what they're, if they're similar to another tribe in their, in their, in their cultural practices, um, how Muslim are they? Are they are they nominal Muslims? Are they uh, folk Muslims? Are they are they more like Wahhabian? Are they they you know what what are they? What is their background? Shiites, Sunnis, what do they believe? And I and just asking tons of questions. 
Then once we've gotten past a lot of the questions, then we begin to, we've distributed um, Arabic and Swahili New Testaments. We've distributed Bibles. But when we're doing that, the the people, they begin to read it. And then we, we follow up and see what they've been reading, if they have any questions. And if they have questions, then we invite them to a person's home who we found favor with in the community. And so a lot of what we do is in the homes. And there is, how to say it, there is, yeah, most of it's in the homes because in the home, when you're reaching, when you're evangelizing someone in their home and you're visiting somebody, they don't feel threatened. They don't feel they're in their territory. You're in their place. And even when there comes time for making a decision, they're not in front of the whole marketplace. They're making that decision from their home and they might not come out with it right away to the whole community, but then they begin hosting Bible studies and they begin hosting classes and we start teaching them right away what we know, certain classes. And then once they've passed through a class on on like foundations of Christianity, then they're supposed to teach that class. And then we'll teach them a new class. And so it's whatever you know about Jesus, you then share with the other people. Yeah. That's that wouldn't be a bad model for a lot of American churches, would it? Uh, no, well, whatever you know, now you go out this yeah. week and share it with somebody. It's about making disciples. Uh-huh. And I think in the States, we we treat the church more as a machine than as a living organism. And in order to to be alive and to be healthy and to be well, we spiritually we have to be learning and teaching others what we have learned, not just digesting it all and then not using that energy which we get from our spiritual food to help other people. Yeah. What do you feel like is is your biggest challenge in the work that you're doing? We don't just want to do missionary work ourselves. Um, Ralph Winter from U.S. Center for World Missions one of the last speeches he ever gave to a university, he says, don't just be a missionary. Be somebody who mobilizes missionaries. And the biggest, the person, the people that need to hear that the most are missionaries, that we need to be helping other people. Because sometimes we get so concerned and wrapped up in the, the vision and the call that God has given us, we forget to help other missionaries who are on the field who have a similar vision. But I really truly believe that we are called to spend our lives and waste our lives to help other people fulfill the call and vision that God has given them. So one of the big one of the big issues that we have is um, we want the Africans to do missionary work. The Americans can partner with them, but we don't want to be the ones who are funding everything. We don't want to be the ones who are, we don't want them to become dependent on the West because their missions movement will end the day that the West stops supporting their missionary work. So we want them it to be from the, all their personal support, everything, so just, I mean, Africans can pray somebody back from the dead, literally pray somebody back from the dead. It's happened many times with churches in Uganda and they'll pray back from the dead. Okay. But when you're like, we need to raise money to send a missionary to the foreign mission field. It's like, where's the de- dead bodies? <laughs> like, what, what happened to the dead bodies? Why are we talking about this? And so it's a real giving financially. To support a missionary work is something the African church is learning to do and is a big challenge. And then also, I'd say the second challenge is when the gospel has taken root in a particular tribe, in a particular culture, in an African nation, very seldom, if ever, 
does that tribe take the gospel that they have received and that has been contextualized to their culture and then be able to take it to another tribe and be able to preach the gospel in a way that that tribe doesn't see the gospel as foreign, but sees it as something that they can do. Oftentimes, it has taken someone from outside to come into that new tribe to do the whole thing all over again. Why is that? Uh, is there a lot of tribal animosity that they have to get over and over to get to that point? Or is it just in their context, they don't necessarily think of, of missions, handing it on? Yeah, let me, let me use an illustration. There's the Tongwe people. They're traditionally a Muslim people group. And then you have the Waha. Okay, the Waha never used to be Christians, but now have become their elite. I mean, they, they have so many Christians, churches everywhere. And so the Tongwe, when a, 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 a person from the Ha tribe comes to them and they, they try sharing Jesus with them, they'll say, oh, well, you're from the, the Ha tribe. You're Christian. That's part of your tribal right. identity. We're Watongwe, so there's no, we are Muslim. So if I stop being Muslim, I stop being Tongwe. And then the thing is, too, like, <laughs> this is a crazy example, but um, uh, we took some people from the Waha tribe and went to another tribe, the Rungwa tribe, and we planted churches there. But when we first went, the, the Waha would say a particular word that was like, praise, praise, praise the Lord, okay? in their tribal language, and they would use their own tribal language in the new church services and the new church planning efforts. But what's crazy is that tribe that they were trying to reach praised the Lord in, um, in, in, in Kiha was actually, um, it was the F word. It was like <laughs> F your cousin in, 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 in the Rungwa tribe. And so little things like this. So it didn't translate very well. No, it didn't translate. <laughs> so they, they keep hearing these people singing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But they're not hearing they're not that. Hearing and they're just like, the Lord. they're just like, unbelievable. Like, are you kidding Can me? Can you believe how vulgar those people are? Yeah. That, what church is that? You wow. Know? And so, but, but this is the thing we as people, we so little, uh, even in the States, we don't realize how much of our American culture is in the church. And when we go into a new people group and we go as a missionary, it comes back to the bare bones. What is the gospel? What will that look like? How are we going to do church here? Are we going to meet on Fridays instead of Sundays? Are we going to, are we going to meet in a building with a cross on it? Or are we going to build, are we going to meet in homes? Like what does it mean to be the church? And I think a lot of the times the Africans, they, be, they you know, the, the missionaries tra help translate songs into their tribal language and, and they, 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 they do particular dances in their church that are very tribal and they redeem a lot of things from their culture that used to be pagan, but now they've redeemed it and they use it to worship Jesus. But what happens is they take all those cultural elements that the missionaries help them to realize they can worship God in their own tribal language. And they take those tribal elements to a new tribe that is completely contrary to the tribe they just came from. And so they don't have the training that they need as a missionary to to really erase all the baggage that they have before they go out. Interesting. So that's that's a huge challenge oh, to yeah. getting the African church to do missions, finances, and then letting go of cultural practices that they see as biblical. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
I want to ask this question because you're working in a Muslim context and and many of our listeners have Muslim friends or or they go to school with Muslims or they work alongside Muslims. What would you advise them if they want to ultimately share the gospel with these Muslims, maybe even here in the United States, Mm -hmm. wherever they are? uh, How would you advise them to go about that? I would say ask them questions about Islam. Because as Americans, we think we know things about Islam, but it's what Fox News tells us about Islam. It's what CNN tells us. But we don't really know Muslims and how they think. And so we try to just grab a principle here, principle there, and we try to just apply it. And we try to, and we try to do a Romans, like a, a Muslim version of Romans Road. But what we don't realize is that sin is not like, how do I say this? Original sin. And that we're sinners in need of a savior is not something that Muslims feel. They re- they feel like when Adam messed up because he was given one rule, he was then given tons of rules to help bu- guide him better. So it's not that they have a sin nature, but it's that we can we can be guided into into true knowledge. And so when you're talking to them about, well, you need to be saved of your sins, Muslims are like, what are you talking about? But if you were to be like, Christ is here to guide you. To, the, to, to God. Christ came as a guide and a leader to lead you to both him and to God. And you, but that takes, you don't just learn that right off the bat. Right. You know? So the thing I always would say is when you, if you know there are Muslims who live around you, okay, become their friends. You're not going to reach someone that's not your friend. Then when they become your friends, don't just tell them everything you know right off the bat. Be a good student. A good teacher, you never become a good teacher without first becoming a good student. So ask them questions about Islam. And what I've known is when I ask people questions about Islam, then what they do, I don't even have to, I don't even have to push the gospel forward. They then in turn ask me questions right. about what I believe. The natural response, you just asked me a question about my family. Yep. My natural response is, well, tell me about your family. Yeah. And if you just ask me a question about my faith, the natural response is, well, yeah. what do you believe? Yeah. And just, I mean, even right now, you've been asking me questions. We've had a dialogue. But eventually, I mean, right now, you're more asking me questions because you're an interviewer. Because <laughs> it's my show. Because it's your show, okay? <laughs> but, like, in real life, in real life, I would eventually start asking you questions. Right. Unless I, I, I really don't care about <laughs> you or right. as a person. But Muslims many times really do care because you might be trying to reach a Muslim and saying, I'd like you to be, you know, you're trying to see them come to Christ. But at the same time, they see you as someone that they can evangelize. And so when you ask them questions, then they get interested and they'll tell you all they know and then they'll ask you questions. And so, but what I do is over time, as these questions happen and these conversations happen, I start noticing really big contradictions in the way that one believes and the way that one lives out their life. And so I just begin to ask more defining questions. And I don't ask leading questions simply to lead them to a point. But I do ask questions to help better define where they're at. Because somebody can say, I'm a Muslim. You might not believe anything about the Quran or anything, but you will defend Islam tooth and nail, even if you're a nominal Muslim. So you want to find out whether they're nominal folk or radical. And so many Muslims 
don't speak Arabic. Yep. So they haven't actually read the Quran. Exactly. <laughs> they don't know what it says yep. or whether they believe it or not. And even the Quran, like the English translation of it, it, it you, you'll notice at the beginning of the Quran, it says this is a translation or interpretation of the meanings of the Quran. So it's not even a direct translation most of the time. As we're thinking of the nation of Tanzania, as we're thinking of East Africa, what are the things we should be sure to pray for? Pray for national missionaries. We've sent out a lot of national missionaries, and it's not just us. I mean, the group I'm with, but there's across the board, every denomination, they're just awakening to this fact that Tanzania is advancing economically. They're advancing uh, in their education. They're advancing. And so we don't want to see that the talents and all that God has given them is going to come to a waste. We want to equip the Tanzanian church to see the Muslims not as enemies, but as a mission field. And so just pray that whether it's us or any other group, that I can think of like 12, 13 groups right now in Tanzania who are training the Tanzanians to send cross-cultural missionaries within their own country, to neighboring countries, to the Middle East, to Africa or North Africa. And so just pray that these, these national missionaries get the funding that they need, that, they, um, that the churches get behind them, that um, that they that when they're out on the mission field, they are under so much attack, spiritual attack. They, they they go through depression. They feel like they're alone. Everything that American missionaries feel, and we're, so say, we're all humans, and we have things that we really miss from our home culture. And a lot of them go without their children because they want their children to get an education. So families are separated. It's it's very difficult to be a national missionary sent out by the Tanzanian church. And just pray that not only for them as people, for their churches who are sending them, and then when they get out there, that they will be first students of the cultures they're trying to reach. And then that God would give them the words to speak that don't come from just a human mind, but that come from the leading and the directing the Holy Spirit. And when he leads and directs them, yeah, they, they just have divine encounters where, where, where they, it's not the missionary who encounters these Muslim people groups, but it's that they introduce Jesus and that Jesus, the person of Jesus, transforms people and brings them to the light and the knowledge of Jesus Christ so they can be in fellowship with God. Tori Rasmussen, thank you very much for sharing about Tanzania and about your work there. Uh, is there a website or something where people can connect with you if they want to? They can email me. Okay. <laughs> we don't have a website because of, <laughs> because of the issues with the persecution yep. um, and because of the Muslim context we work. But it's, it's pro project and then tongue at gmail.com. Tongue is T-O-N-G-W-E. So that's project tongue T-O-N-G-W-E at gmail.com. That's great. So. Tori Rasmussen, thank you very much for being our guest today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Tori Rasmussen has been our guest this week on VOM Radio. You can listen to our conversation again, and you can share it with your friends online at vomradio.net. We'd love to hear from you with your comments, questions, and feedback about our program. You can reach us through vomradio.net or you can call our toll-free comment line at 1-800-757-5069. That's 1-800-757-5069. 
If you're tweeting about this week's show, please use the hashtag VOM Radio. You can follow us there at VOM underscore USA. Tori's given us some great ways to pray for our brothers and sisters in Tanzania this week, and I hope you'll use those ideas in your prayer time. You can also get up-to-date prayer requests from persecuted Christians around the world at ICommitToPray.com. That's ICommitToPray.com. The first request of our persecuted family when we go and meet with them is that we pray for them. Let's answer that request this week. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.